Attention Greendale students and welcome to Streets Behind, a podcast about the TV show community. Hosted by two friends who met on campus but couldn't hang out during the pandemic. So we started this podcast to stay connected. And together we come up with so many insights about the show and the characters that we never would have thought of on our own. We know it's not perfect, but if it was, it wouldn't be Greendale. So join us. You're already already accepted. accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hey everybody, welcome back to our community fan pod where we discuss episode by episode the sitcom, our beloved sitcom community. Today we are talking about season one, episode three, the title of which is Introduction to Film. And joining me as always is Sandy Caldrone. How's it going, Sandy? Hi, it's going well. You watched the episode, I presume? Moments ago, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Did your homework, not going to lie, watched it this morning myself. Um, (laughs) I, you know, it's interesting in watching this episode because the first couple of episodes, I just, there was so much to write down because they frame the show, especially the early couple seasons. They set up so much of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I, it's not that I didn't like this episode, but I, I don't know, it didn't work for me as much as the first two, in part because I just feel like there wasn't as much of those like kind of through lines where you're like, oh, this is going to become a thing. But, um, one of the things that we'll talk about is clearly you get character development with Abed and in particular Abed's family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of sort of the major pieces of this episode, Abed's relationship with his dad, his background, um, you know, his parents being divorced. The other thing that I thought was sort of a big ticket item, if you will, for this episode is um Mr. Whitman and the clear like dead poet society thing that's going on that's important because you know you and I have talked so much about the referencing and allusions to pop culture and just how well this show does that Um, and then I guess a third kind of mini sort of subplot that you start to get here that maybe we can talk about is the relationship between Troy and Pierce and Pierce kind of mentoring Troy Mm -hmm. in a certain way so I don't know where you want to start with that. I thought if, you, if you're cool with it, maybe we'll just start with the like the Dead Poets Society, the sort of visual framing of the of the show, you know, because it starts with Jeff looking for as he sort of becomes a, a character trait for him, looking for the easiest blow off class he can take. And he finds this course in which mr whitman is telling them to like throw the book away and it's about carpe diem and that's how you pass the class is like you just seize the moment or whatever so like right from the beginning you've got this robin williams character this uh you know this dead poet society illusion or reference that's pretty explicit yeah they name it they come out and say that it is a dead poet society reference so the characters are aware of that which is great yeah, that, that, that's right. I forgot. Is it um, Jeff says it to like the the study group or something about how like this is like a de- yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> poet society guy. And I forget the actor's name, but I want to say it's John Michael Higgins. Is that right? Let me look this up that real quick be. because he's so good in this role. 
Um, <laughs> sorry, I hate to do this, but I do want to look this up because he's so good in this. Yeah, it's John Michael Higgins, um, who I remember first sort of becoming aware of from his role in um, De- or uh, what was it? Uh, the Christopher Guest film, mm-hmm. Best in Show. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I just wanted to say that he is amazing at this. This is like perfect for him. <laughs> for him. It's like such a good role. Um, and he and he delivers it so well. I don't know. I guess uh, let me ask a, a question. When do you remember first seeing Dead Poets Society? Oh, definitely when I was young enough to take it completely seriously. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When I was at an age to think if my parents ever send me to boarding school, which they wouldn't have done because, you know, it's not like they could afford to send me to boarding school in the East Coast. But I remember thinking if I were sent to boarding school, you know, if I were the, you know, the Ethan Hawke character or whatever, I would be. Yeah. I just remember thinking, okay, if you go to boarding school, either like you're inspired by a professor to become like <laughs> whatever yeah to seize the moment and live the day or you might end up taking your own life you know? yes <laughs> like that you either become a super like tortured neurotic person or it like inspires you to greatness but really no in between and i guess like i mean to the movie's credit you know it's really easy to make fun of as an adult but they really captured that kind of like intensity of being a teenager. <laughs> yeah. It's so I think the movie came out in 89, I want to say. So one of the things that I did think about with this whole Dead Poet Society aspect is okay, so I was, you know, nine in 89, right? Mm-hmm. Nine or yeah, I would have been nine years old. So I wasn't at that age of even being in high school, but certainly impressionable but yeah it cracks me up what you were saying that you know at an age where you took it seriously and that and that it it kind of meant something but when you think about it it was part of that long line of 80s coming of age high school films because we've talked about the john hughes stuff before Mm -hmm. in our conversations particularly around episode one the pilot and kind of framing the whole show and that shows up again in here with six candles instead of 16 candles. Yes. Abed's film that he makes at the end, which we'll talk about, titles mm-hmm. it Six Candles. Exactly. So it's interesting that it, it that Dead Poet Society, I never thought about it this way as a kid, but it's sort of a part of that mm-hmm. lineage of 80s high school coming of age films. And yeah, yet the really so- sincere ones. Yes. Yeah. But there's something so much more serious and mature or, for you know, intended for because of like, you know, the relationship between, um, oh, what's his name? Robert Sean Leonard um, with it, like his dad and, you know, and just the whole thing. And so it's interesting. I never thought about it until really watching this episode to prep as suddenly I was like, oh, Dead Poet Society is kind of in line with those John yeah. Hughes films that we talked about, but it's of a completely different tenor. Like it's such a different style of the 80s coming of age high school movie. No, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it as being part of that same kind of genre, but it definitely fits. It does. And so what fits for this show for community 
is precisely that it's another one of those framings or of an episode or allusion to like, here's this 80s high school film pop reference mm -hmm. that a certain generation, like our generation is going to get and will be nostalgic for us. But, you know, they, they layer it so well because John Michael Higgins' character is Professor Whitman. It's the Whitman poem, Oh Captain, My Captain, that, you mm -hmm. know, they're reading in the class and that, Ethan Hawke stands on the desk to say as Robin Williams' <laughs> character is sort of being like ushered out, which is also a weird part yeah. of that movie that like he's being fired and they like come to get him in class and they're yeah, just like, you're gone, totally buddy. <laughs> you're like, get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, they, so they have Annie stand on the desk and then the other students stand on their desks and one of them immediately falls. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, you're right. Like, so they call out the Dead Poet Society reference, but then they make a bunch of other ones that they don't call out. <laughs> and yeah. they work it into the story so that it kind of moves the story along. And it's not just one of those like sidetracking reference moments that takes you out of the story to make a funny reference and then zooms you back into the story. No, like this moves through the story seamlessly. That's a great way of putting it. It is, it's so layered and so like fluent or fluid in the show. Mm -hmm. So when Jeff's in there that first day and the and he's like, you know, throw the book away. That's obviously referencing when Robin Williams characters like tear these pages out or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, but then yeah, later when he gets the rest of the class to join, presumably because they think they can all get an easy grade, except for Abed who wants to join a film class, which we'll talk about that that sort of second main kind of like aspect of this particular episode. But so he walks up to Annie and of course, Annie's very like stayed and like, here's what yes. I want to do or whatever, you know, and here's what, you know, <laughs> he's just like stand on the desk or whatever. He has a great line about something about how did the, how did the girl end up alone with something like cats that know how to use human toilets? I can't remember the exact <laughs> yeah. line and something about that. And Annie makes that Annie face where she's like, wait, is that, is that where I'm, you know, is that where I'm headed or whatever? So, yeah. he, so he has her, as you said, stand up on the desk. Everybody stands up on the desk and immediately <laughs> just falls hard. Yeah. And, he says, and something like, why, you know, why, why aren't you, why don't like in your class, why don't you normally stand on the desk or something like that? And she just goes down. But one of the things I noticed in watching it this time with this, you know, different lens of kind of paying attention to this stuff, you can hear her mumbling in the background as he's still, as John Michael Higgins, as Mr. Whitman is still talking to the class. Oh, and after it, she's fallen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like kind of mumbling. She's and trying it, to recover. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, I'm pretty sure you hear her say like, I love you. Like in this <laughs> sort of like punchy woozy way and what's interesting is then like two seconds later he says your homework is what's he say like go swim in a lake and tell yeah. 10 people you love them or something <laughs> but if you go back and listen it's hard to make out but she's that woman who fell it's Aww. like kind of like <laughs> woozy and mumbling in the background which is just such a we've talked about this it's like part of their like slapstick they have you know it's great comedy and it's it's one of the ways that this show can layer in so many different kinds of comedy is mm -hmm. in the midst of this, like, as you said, very fluid and fluent layering of the Dead Poet Society illusions. <laughs> There's just this pratfall, basically, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, these, so these writers are very smart people who sometimes write dumb jokes and they know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do it right. <laughs> They do, but that's the thing. They it's always spot on. So yeah, that poor woman, that poor woman falls down. 
And then I guess the other thing to sort of, I would say about this part of the show um, before kind of shifting to some of the other stuff is, uh, you know, again, it's one of those plot devices to work through Jeff Winger's like truly maturing and growing up, right? Like he has the Mm -hmm. fake degree, was a lawyer, he joined the good life, but in episode one, he wants to get all the exam answers from Duncan. And in episode two, he's kind of avoiding or yeah he's avoiding pierce and contriving to like put himself in a situation with britta you know and it's it's interesting when you go back this many years later and watch the show with this kind of lens or focus and we've talked about this how much of these first couple seasons it really is about jeff like it's about Mm -hmm. like or at least one of the main things i guess you could say it's about jeff and abed but it's about jeff being that character who unites the group but also is always going through these moments of self-realization and self-learning and it's interesting because there's kind of an emotional quality to it where Abed has difficulty doing the emotional learning, Mm -hmm. but he's learning so much how to be social and how to just Mm -hmm. engage with other people. And it is interesting to go back and watch these early episodes and be like, oh yeah, I remember how it was always about like Jeff having to learn the hard lesson about how to be a genuine real person or whatever. (laughs) Did you have any other thoughts on the, on that aspect of it, the, of the show, the sort of dead poet society? Well, one other thing I do want to talk about is that they really set all of these different aspects up like immediately in this episode. And they do this in other episodes too, where it's just really tightly written, where all of the jokes are kind of serving a purpose in the story. Um, Because in this one, before we get to the opening credits, you have like you said, Jeff looking for a blow off class because he needs to learn a lesson about trying to blow off work. Um, (laughs) You have Britta getting over involved in Abed's life um, by offering to pay for a film class. Um, You have Pierce fumbling with technology where he's trying to get his phone to obey a voice command. And Chevy Chase doing something wrong over and over and over again is something I always enjoy. (laughs) He does it really well. And he does it a lot in this show. In this episode, it's trying to use voice command on his phone. We have talking about um, Abed's Arabic uh, family heritage. We have Shirley being kind of surprisingly prejudiced. We have Pierce being predictably even more racist. (laughs) where he makes a comment that he thinks that Shirley and Troy are related. And we have Troy doing the like baby sneeze, like tiny bee story. And all of that happens before the credits. It's such a good point. One of the things that I wrote down as a note, more, more to like myself, as opposed to like something about the plot or the show, is I wrote down something like, so much happened in first five minutes or something yeah. like that. And, and, and I remember watching this show for, you know, to prep for today, thinking like, God, there really is a lot happening in this episode, which is why I think I felt like towards the end, I felt like it sort of lost that steam. Mm. But I think you're so right about this in, in that this show does this very well. There's certain episodes where really... like the prelude or whatever the prologue like before you get to the credits is it really sets up the entire Mm -hmm. show but also multiple plot lines 
of, you know, of varying sort of orders or degree of importance to the show, but it sets it mm -hmm. all up. And it's one of the beautiful things about having them always in the study room mm -hmm. and sort of having these conver these casual conversations because They're all it can together. all come out yeah. this way. And so you brought up a couple specific things that I do want to touch on, but yeah, that's a great point, Sandy, because you're right. This show is so tightly written, this specific episode, but the show community in general. And you don't get like blatant exposition either. You yeah. learn these things as the characters interact, not as they talk about these things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's why I think it, you know, it helps so much that they're in this casual, like, oh, we're supposed to be studying, but mm -hmm. really we're just talking. Because the way some of these things arise is Jeff comes in and says, you know, I found this Dead Poet Society class. Let's all sign up for it. Abed says, well, I'm thinking about doing a film class because that's what I want to do. But then it's like, well, but my dad won't let me. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Annie, I noticed, decides to go into the class after Troy decides to go. Yes. So that's oh, another yes. thing that that we see more is it's not so much that Annie it's it's not like a romantic interest. It's not that she has a crush. It's that they went to high school and she wants this chance to not be whatever Adderall Annie or whatever they call it. Mm -hmm. like she's trying to redeem herself to Troy and you see that through some of the first episode or sorry the first season where it's like wait I want Troy to know that I'm actually cool and not this girl who like had this moment in high school which we get the like visit back to that party where she sort of became infamous at her high school later so you get that like okay people start getting on board but then you have as you brought up Abed saying he can only take classes that will help him run the family restaurant, or at least that's what his dad said. Mm -hmm. So he's not going to be able to take the film class. <laughs> but the line, and it cracked me up. Abed says, 9-11 was pretty much the 9-11 of the falafel business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so good. You can't even read it, of the falafel business, which is so <laughs> great. But again... To your point, this brings up Abed's heritage, his relationship with his dad, his interest in film. You get then Britta immediately saying, how much is this class going to be to Abed? And I love the fact it was $70. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she just starts, oh, and then she starts writing him a paper check. Yeah. That you later found out the memo was for dreams. <laughs> But yeah, as you said, all of this is happening before the credits. Oh, and then another kind of haymaker of a line. Abed says something about um, he wants to make movies, but his dad is against it as he thinks all media is Western propaganda against Arabs. And then Troy <laughs> says, then he should see Aladdin. Jafar was a badass. <laughs> yeah. But I'm Troy not... says it so seriously. And the rest of the group is like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> And that's such a Troy response. Like that yeah. is very much this combination of like being, you know, not fully getting the context of what everybody else is talking about, but also <laughs> being kind of like sweet and sincere about it and invested in it, even though some of it's going over your head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, Donald Glover is a genius at that, yeah. especially with these, for, again, these first couple seasons. And I don't mean to always talk about the first couple seasons, but as we'll talk about, there is like a tonal shift in the show, for sure, whether it's characters it changes, leaving yeah. or, yeah. But these first couple seasons, Troy is so good at precisely what you said, acting a naive sincerity when something is going over his head, but not coming across as like, 
the the idiot who didn't get the the joke or the rest mm -hmm. of the conversation it's that he sees a very particular sincerity and or seriousness in it and sincerely expresses that you know yeah. like wow if that's your dad's thought on western film he's really missing out on aladdin because <laughs> there's like because there's uh you know quote unquote arabic character that would be like something that would change your dad's mind. You know what I mean? Like there's a, yeah, there's like a powerful whatever character that would that would sort of change your dad's opinion on things. But no, that's, that's great. I love how you framed that, that all that stuff happens so early in the show. I mean, you're just, it's all there. And again, to your point, it's never exposition. It, like this show does so well at not having to like walk you through the plot they just kind of yeah. throw all the darts at the dartboard of the map or whatever and it's just like yeah watch this all connect even in a way that other shows that do that like Seinfeld or whatever it's just different you know like in Seinfeld it takes a few minutes to kind of get all the different each character's sort of little plot you know and Kramer always has like an entrance that kind of brings on like a little subplot this is just all one conversation at the study table it's amazing yeah and I think that's one of the reasons that this show is so rewatchable is because you catch those things if you go into the episode already knowing what's basically going to happen yeah. And that's the thing is, but it doesn't feel like, I mean, even watching it again for the whatever number time, like I, I pick up new things. And like I said, I wrote that note to myself, like so much happened in the first, but it still feels like it's getting presented to you anew or refresh, even though you've seen it. And mm -hmm. also it's not like I saw it this morning and was like, oh yeah, this is the episode. I mean, they still have such a great way of layering all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, cause there's definitely things that I noticed in here, you know, some things we'll talk about, but two, two other things you mentioned real quick that I wanted to point out. Pierce's struggle with technology, which becomes a bit of a, a trope or a shtick in this, you know, I doing love the voice Pierce struggle. Pierce failing at something repeatedly. Oh, they never go wrong. It's also funny too, because this is like pre-iPhones, basically. I can't tell, but it looks like sort of like a Blackberry or like even yeah. something else, like a little Nokia's. I don't know. Like, but yeah, doing like a voice command. And then what Britta says, something like, just like type it in. And he's, you know, basically he's like, oh, you're the dinosaur, you know, like who, who types things in anymore? It's all voice protocol or whatever. Yeah. But then the other thing you mentioned that involves Pierce, when, well, when Abed sort of talking about what his dad wants and then there's this conversation around his Arabic heritage and Brit is getting herself involved by writing the check and sort of taking on this maternal role, mm -hmm. which is again, kind of early seasons, Britta, right? That maternal yeah. role or whatever, because she sort of had it in an episode two with Shirley and with Shirley and Annie wanting to do the protest, but Shirley makes a line or says a line. It's you could get your head cut off with a salami sword, <laughs> at which point Annie is like, surely that, <laughs> I know. What does that even mean? <laughs> but but here we go. Annie then says that's the most racist thing I've ever heard. To which point Jeff says, "Oh, give it a minute. Pierce will do something. We'll say something yes. more racist." Somehow the conversation comes around to, "Oh, Troy telling Shirley you're not my mom." At which point Pierce is like, "She's not," and Jeff's yeah. like, "Twenty nine seconds or whatever." So you're <laughs> right. You get that racism we've talked about from Pierce. Mm -hmm. his bigotry but what's interesting is i wanted to bring this back with shirley's character to that first episode and i referenced this in you know episodes of our pod 
the moment in the cafeteria in episode one where the older black woman walks up to Jeff and he says, Oh, I'm sorry. Like I've been trained to think that all, you know, older black women are like this cosmic figure that are going to like, give me Mm -hmm. this sagely advice or whatever. What's interesting is that they present that woman as potentially a problematic token character, but then immediately deconstruct it by a, that meta commentary of being like, Oh, this is who I thought you were. And, you know, she calls him Seinfeld or whatever, you know, like she's immediately like, yeah, whatever you idiot. Like, you know, (laughs) you just forgot to pay for your tacos or whatever. I've, I've been thinking about this and I think it's an interesting juxtaposition with Shirley's character because with her, her bout with alcoholism, her troubled relationship, whether these things have, whether these things have come out in this point, of the show community or not like they will not yet but they've happened they've happened in her life but they haven't necessarily come out but you've had some illusions like smashing the head through the jukebox like you (laughs) know and then this racist comment and we've talked about this a lot this show has a diversity the main sort of seven eight characters there's a diversity racial ethnic age even if you include dean pelton uh, although this comes out later identity or sexual orientation you know these things come out but it's never tokeny and they do a really good show about avoiding those tokenisms and this was one of those moments where i'm like yeah shirley's a really interesting character because she's not like the token black female character she says something that's blatantly racist (laughs) about abed's arabic heritage and then Annie, who I don't think we know this yet in the show, but her character's Jewish, calls her mm-hmm. out for being racist. Yeah, I mean, so it is just such an interesting layering of that that conversation about of, of racism and how this show deals with it. But also, again, how the characters themselves, like the main cast, is never tokeny. I just wondered if you thought about that at all or had any, I don't know, does that strike any chord with you in particular? Yeah, so it reminds me of how they kind of, like you said, deconstruct these things. So the characters of the show live in the same kind of like rich environment that we do, where there are things like like tokenism and there are, you know, counterexamples to that. Mm-hmm. And um, the characters speak as though they live in that kind of like multi-layered reality. And they, you know, play with your expectations, like you say, like with the cafeteria lady. And they, one of the places where they do that again, I think, is in this episode when Jeff is lying to Abed's dad and Britta to get them to come into the study room so they can all talk to Abed later in the show about yes. his, his yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. And he, he gets <laughs> Britta there by lying about um, having Ravi Shankar tickets. And he gets Abed's dad there by lying about having Weezer tickets. Weezer. I wrote that down. So good. The Weezer. <laughs> Yeah. Where's Weezer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is and it's an interesting juxtaposition for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just how those characters appear, like their appearance, who you think they superficially who you think they would be interested in, in terms of music mm-hmm. or whatever. But also there's almost like this this prejudice in there where Jeff you would think you'd be like someone who looks like Britta likes Weezer and someone who looks like Abed's dad must like Ravi Shankar, which would be incredibly racist. Mm -hmm. But to switch it like that, again, it just plays with your expectations. Yeah, like they know that you know how a bad show would do it and they're going to make that knowledge part of the like, you know, foundation of the joke. 
And that's, again, we talked about this. That's that like kind of meta stuff that they play with. You know what I mean? In this sense, not that the show is making a conscious reference about the show it's, mm -hmm. or itself, but that, yeah, they, it's like, oh, they do such a great job of, as you say, playing with your expectations and what other really bad sitcoms would do. Mm -hmm. And many have done for years and still do just like make the bad joke. And so yeah. what's funny here is that, yeah, they, they, they take the pieces of the bad joke and the mm -hmm. obvious joke and they shift them around. And I think there's other places yeah. when we go through these episodes where you do, they're like, they have all the pieces of a really bad joke. They just rearrange them. It's like a little jigsaw puzzle and they get a great joke out of it. And then, okay. So one of the last things in terms of that sort of, early part of the show that set up is Troy's delicate sneeze. Oh, how yeah. This becomes an, another subplot of this show. And that was one of the kind of three big ticket items I wanted to talk about the dead poet society thing, this, mm -hmm. and then, you know, Abed and the film. But if we could shift maybe to talking about Troy's delicate sneeze, but how that starts to build the relationship between Troy and Pierce mm -hmm. and Pierce as a sort of mentor to Troy which again, on the surface, because Pierce is this racist old white guy, it seems like an odd match. But then you can mm -hmm. actually see in this sort of genuine way that I think Pierce really does care about Troy. I mean, and mm -hmm. eventually they'll like live together. Like Pierce really does care about Troy. He cares about Annie in a way and not in like a creepy way. He really is just like, he wants to yeah. help because he's established. He has his business. You know, he has a tortured relationship with his dad. You, you see that he has a genuine way of wanting to be a father figure, but it's mm -hmm. always balanced with this racism or anti-Semitism. I shouldn't say balanced. I mean, it's uh, intertwined with this racism or, mm -hmm. or anti-Semitism. And yet you also see that Troy genuinely wants his advice, wants Pierce's advice. Mm -hmm. So when Pierce walks up to him in the cafeteria or the common area, I guess it's yeah, the common area and that, and Troy's sitting on that couch and he has two cans of pop <laughs> and he puts them down and, and like naturally Troy goes to grab one, but Pierce... <laughs> like no those are both for me <laughs> okay. he's like what like okay i guess i miss i guess i mid misread this but again it's one of those meta moments is like i misread this as the older person coming with a drink to be like hey let's let's have a can of pop together and let's let's talk <laughs> right exactly like they know that we all are kind of comparing our lives to stories all of the time yep and the characters are doing the same thing that's what's amazing about this show and that meta aspect and obviously becomes very explicit with Abed, but it's true. It's like in some ways we're so like media inundated. Well, I really, I would say narrative inundated. Yeah. Like we all just have these narratives, these stories, like again, the woman in the cafeteria and they know that that's how people think about their lives, mm -hmm. but it's also, and you, this is a great point you make. That's how the characters think about it. And not always yeah. in that explicit way, with say Abed and referencing everything to TV and film, you know, right. even like the meta commentary to the woman in the cafeteria from Jeff, but this is like, it's, it's not a comment, it's a gesture. And again, Donald Glover is so great at this. He goes to grab a drink. <laughs> Pierce is like, no, those are both for me. And you can see 
Troy being like, wait, I, like that, that jars with, yeah, exactly. That (laughs) jars with all of my expectations of how this conversation goes. Um, But then, you know, Pierce does the bit with like the different sneezes or whatever. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And, but then notice he gives him the drink. He's like, okay, now that I know you're listening and willing to like, you know, whatever, put up with this. It's also an interesting layer to Troy because he's the jock from high school or whatever, you know, the star quarterback and, um, you know, but he's got this delicate sneeze. One of the best lines in that, (laughs) that interaction, that conversation in the common area or whatever, Pierce says something like, uh, I wrote it down, something about his jacket um, because Troy's wearing the letter jacket. Oh, he's, mm-hmm. he says his jacket. He says, here says, you look like a high school bitch. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? He just says it. You look like a high school bitch. Oh my God. Um, so good though. So good. But yeah, that, um, I was curious what you thought about how that sort of develops that relationship with Troy and, and Pierce. And obviously some of that's looking very far ahead into the series, Mm -hmm. into community, but as far as it sort of manifests in this episode, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I do wonder if part of the reason that relationship grows over the course of the show is because they recognize the just like raw comedy talent of Donald Glover and Chevy Chase. And hey, let's put those guys in more scenes together. But it's also, I think, kind of a nice foil to Jeff, who is trying to avoid learning and growing at all costs. And Troy, who is very earnestly trying to figure out how to be an adult man. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Pierce wanting to be a mentor and filling that role for Troy and Pierce kind of chasing Jeff with a mentorship that terrifies Jeff um, and being, you know, Jeff repelling him that whole time. It's, it's a nice balance. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, that yeah, Pierce wants to mentor Jeff and Mm -hmm. Jeff is the person who needs the maturing, but then here's Troy who again, ostensibly superficially, you would think there'd be a tension there with between those characters. And there is, but in some ways, Troy's recognizes that Pierce is just willing to sort of share this wisdom. And I guess Troy feel like he needs it. And, you know, like is often the case with a family, like, you know, or a friend group, we're not perfect. There are people that are problematic, but you love them anyway. And Pierce sort of gets, you know, he's part of the community. And in some ways it's explicit or otherwise, it's like, they all want to teach him to mature. I mean, a lot of this Mm -hmm. show is about, and I thought you said this beautifully in our first episode, the show is about community and what a community is. And especially looking back on this now, as we watch it during the pandemic and being mm-hmm. physically and socially distanced, it's seven people in a room together, sitting on top of each other and like around a table. Yeah. But building a community for better or for worse, their personality traits arise, but they they're in it together and they're a team and they and try they're complicated. to complicated. Re- so the, exactly. yes, Pierce is a racist old man, but there are also other aspects of his character. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. There's other layers and all of these, all of the characters are layered. Um, and, and we're starting to see that like with Troy and Pierce and their relationship or even, um, even Shirley and her racist comment, you're starting to see some of these layers come out and they only get, you know, explored further. But again, to your earlier point, I mean, how great is this show and these writers that they can start to pull these threads Mm -hmm. this early into a show and that they have the freedom to do it basically 
Um, you said something in our last episode when we looked at Spanish 101 about how like this show's allowed to get weird from the beginning, <laughs> yeah. basically, you know, and, and maybe these plot points today we're discussing aren't necessarily a weirdness, but there's, um, you know, they, they, they take some swings, you know what I mean? Like they, they definitely, mm-hmm. like yeah, I said. So a good example of this is when Jeff is putting so much thought and effort into seizing the day and one of the ways he tries to seize the day is by wearing a really weird outfit where he's got like a colorful shirt like a light up christmas tie um fuzzy slippers i think and like rainbow suspenders yep. and britta asks him why he's dressed like an 80s rapist <laughs> it's such a weird joke but they were allowed to do that in episode three it's I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had that written down. It is such a weird joke. What I thought of that outfit, I wrote down he's dressed. Jeff is dressed as a sort of Patch Adams Mork combo. Oh, so I thought yeah, it was a Robin that. Williams. It was like kind mm-hmm. of Patch Adams, kind of Mork from Ork mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, why are you dressed <laughs> like an 80s rapist? I mean, just it doesn't make sense. It's it's a little raw, but it's so good. Um, and it's also like how when um Abed's dad is arguing with Jeff and Britta he refers to Britta's breasts as guided missiles which is another like super weird raw joke that's very very funny and surprising that they were able to do it on network tv in episode three it's it's funny too because Jeff says something like oh wow like that took like an you know he, he comments on like how the guided missiles metaphor like kind of doesn't work or it like went to like he's you know like, why are you talking about war <laughs> yeah exactly and, and he's and then Robin's dad does the classic like I mean not classic in a good way but it's classic in terms of like sort of you know chauvinistic comedy he does the hand gesture the honka like, honka gesture yeah female breasts like no yeah. i mean guided missiles or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> real quick before before we um maybe go on to sort of the the last kind of big thing i wanted to talk about which was the um, you know abed and his dad in the film so you had brought mm-hmm. up this thing with um that comment in the cafeteria britta makes and and jeff's trying to seize the day or whatever he tries was, so hard. He puts so much thought and planning into it. And says at one point to yeah. Mr. Whitman, like, look how hard I'm trying. Yeah. Which is always sort of the thing with Jeff. He tries so hard. At the he wrong tries, things. What's that? He tries at the wrong things. He tries at the wrong things and he tries so hard. He tries to find yeah. easy ways out of classes or easy classes to take, easy ways to get grades. He tries hard to get with Britta. They, later, he tries hard to sort of contrive moments with Annie. He tries mm-hmm. hard to like be mean to the Dean or be mean to Dunk. I mean, it's always yeah. this sort of trying and, and this over trying, which in some ways is like the grand lesson for Jeff is in, and in this episode, just like be in the moment, seize the day, whatever, carpe diem. <laughs> stop but pretending the, to text people. Yeah, exactly. Ex- and well, and just stop pretending that there's a genuine reason mm. that you're doing these things. Yeah. But one of the great lines that Mr. Whitman has, he says, only when we stop stopping our lives can we begin to start starting them. And it's such a great line. I so want to take that into a therapy session and be like, you know, the other day I kind of came up with this mantra just to see what, what someone would say and be like, oh my God, that is a great mantra. Like, how good is that? Only when we stop stopping our lives can we begin to start starting. <laughs> yeah, I think so good. what you need to do is um, 
put that in really like pretty brush script lettering on like a colorful background and put it up on, on Instagram and see if people take it seriously. That's why I was like, I want to take this to a therapy session and see if like somehow it comes out into like the meme verse like a year yeah. or two later and like someone's like making money off it, you know, not that I want to like, you know, have a copyright violation of, you know, the writers of community, but it's just, it's so good. And the thing about it is like, this is years before people would put shit like this up on oh, social like, media yeah inspirational social quotes. medias yeah social media and become like famous like inspirational speakers mm -hmm. because they and came up life with coaches some, and yeah because they came up with some line about like loving yourself or whatever you know what <laughs> i mean it's just like yeah I, why is this person a millionaire for saying that over <laughs> and over again you know so then i guess the last thing i want to talk about abed's character development mm -hmm. his interest in film his inability to express himself and certainly express his emotions in like normal or like natural you know verbal exchange and conversation as his dad points out mm -hmm. um, again his love of film and television but also his way of understanding the real world through those illusions and references mm -hmm. or contriving ways to bring them into illusion or into conversations making those illusions and references but also you get that layer of his cultural background and his relationship with his dad and mm -hmm. the fact that his mom left um, yeah. which I sort of forgot. I remember his mom wasn't in it, but I forgot that this episode just like she left and that's like an issue and maybe an issue that's been between him and his dad or whatever. Yeah, I guess we'll just dive in because that to me is sort of the the main plot point or plot device in this particular episode other than, you know, Jeff and seizing the day. And again, I think that's where you really see this character balance that Abed and um, Jeff are very much at the fore early in the show. You know, it's about how Abed brings mm -hmm. you into that whole metaverse. But now we get this layering of like, but there's an actual story behind it This to this character. Mm -hmm. There's a reason maybe he hides in film and television or finds his solace there. It's because he's got a, you know, challenging relationship with his dad and his mom left when he was six or whatever um yeah and we see Abed here and we'll see this a lot throughout the show where he has trouble kind of expressing himself in in really kind of like predictable you know quote unquote like normal ways but he's not at all um oblivious to the emotions of of other people and that he's actually very tuned into them because he has to be in order to manipulate people in the way that he's doing in this episode here, where he's pushing Jeff and Britta's buttons to get them to kind of work in his like scripted documentary. Like it's not a documentary in the sense that he's filming just what is happening. He is pulling everybody's strings so that he can kind of get the script that he wants to occur just in reality. No, but that's exactly it. It's like you see how he isn't aloof to emotion or emotional capacity. He just has a trouble expressing it. Yeah. But he is able to manipulate people's emotions, like you said, into getting them to react to certain things because he already has the vision for how this fits into his documentary, quote mm -hmm. unquote. I'm doing air quotes, which doesn't work well on a pod. But yeah, this yeah. like <laughs> documentary that's really like 
a contrived film that he's making. Yeah. Even with having like cut out pictures of like his mom and dad's head to like yeah. put on, um, to put on Jeff and Britta. So you mentioned a scene earlier, or there was a couple scenes that that I wanted to talk about specifically. So one of them is at this like. I guess it's like a club fair or like, you know, student organizations fair. And that's one of the places where um, you start to get this tension. Abed's dad comes to confront Britta to be like, you know, why are you in my life? And then there's this conversation like Britta of like, oh, because I'm a woman, I can't do this. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, Abed's dad is like, oh, because I'm Muslim or because I'm Arabic, this is how I think about women or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of builds up to this crescendo. And of course, Abed is like, they're taking this all in. And at one point, Jeff steps in to separate them. And I laughed out loud, as they say, I LOL'd, but there, I, I didn't notice this in the past. Suddenly, Britta is standing off Jeff's shoulder, like with her <laughs> fists up. Yeah, really <laughs> awkwardly. Really yeah, like, awkwardly. <laughs> she's like put up her dukes you know? yeah it's <laughs> just like just like looking like i'm ready to fight i don't know why i just thought that was so hilarious um she's like look i have seen fights before yeah, yeah i know where this goes yeah. but again it's that whole like you have this way you expect these scenes to go and yes. or don't expect them to go and you aren't expecting them to get into a fisticuffs but there's this way that Britta is referencing like how many of these shows have you seen where it does turn into a fist so I'm just yeah. standing here fists already <laughs> like I'm just ready to <laughs> fight this guy you know um another thing that I thought was funny about this and maybe this is less about this plot device but just funny parts of the show so there was Britta standing there with her fists up which I guess I'd never noticed um <laughs> in the background there is a karate kid club not a karate club <laughs> but a karate kid club. And if you look, there's a moment where the people that are standing there in like their whatever, I don't know what the wardrobe is called, but in their like kit or whatever, like the, Mm -hmm. you know, the wardrobe for martial arts. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're in those costumes and they're doing the Macarena, but like (laughs) really slowly. And I noticed that today I was like, oh, Karate Kid Club, that's funny. And then later I'm like, I think they're doing the Macarena. Oh, that's so but weird. But like really awkwardly and slowly. Because <laughs> they're like super nerdy, dorky looking dudes doing the Macarena. Yeah, it's awesome. I know one of the things you and I have talked about sort of off off mic is... um how a lot of the community fandom gets into like the Easter eggs and like all these Easter eggs mm-hmm. with like the, these sorts of things. And I know I've told you like, uh, like that's great. I don't have anything against it, but that's often not like what I pay attention to when I watch the show. Mm-hmm. But I did notice that today, the karate kid club and the Macarena. The other thing I noticed is in the lounge in the study room, there was so much more like posters up on the board. And mm-hmm. there's one in the background of like a guy's face that just so looks like the kind of thing you see in these like educational yes. spaces. It's like, yeah, I don't know I what it's it it like a guy's face. And you're like, oh, that's got to be some sort of PSA or, you know, <laughs> some advertisement for something. Um, but the best, the best like action in the background is when um, I think it's at the end when Professor Whitman sees Jeff and Britta kiss, which is the only evidence of Jeff kind of seizing the day, even yeah. though all he's doing is obeying Britta. She and she's him. contrived it because she yes. sees Whitman, yeah. But then afterwards, I think it's after that, where you see Whitman in the background and just kind of go um, across the quad and start climbing a tree. 
<laughs> love it. Yeah. I noticed that too. He like hops over some, like a little, whatever, like retaining wall for this yeah. little kind of green space. And <laughs> Start, yeah, climbing the tree. Um, so there was that confrontation then with with Abed's dad and Jeff and Britta. And then, as you said, at the end, Jeff contrives a way to get everybody together to talk. That is when Abed in the study room and then Abed is using that time to finish the film and then plays mm -hmm. the film. And as you said, he titles it Six Candles. So obviously reference to John Hughes, 16 mm -hmm. Candles. But then that's where you get the... The, the, the story really of like his mom left and maybe where some of his emotional lack of capacity to be, to express these things come from. There's like a trauma. There's a real trauma mm -hmm. in his life. His mom left them. And apparently he felt like his dad blamed him because there's that great mm -hmm. line where the, you know, his dad says in Arabic, I presume, because they have it like it on, you know, they have the subtitles or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I never blamed you for her leaving. And Abed mm -hmm. says something like, yeah, you didn't have to. Yeah. Which, you know, suddenly gets to an, to a, it gets to an emotional point where is atypical for Abed's character, but also like that's a deep emotional point for mm -hmm. or moment in this show, you know, like in a comedy, like that got real for a second. Yeah. And they get a lot done with those like 12 words. <laughs> they really do. Those lines cut. <laughs> no, they really do. Watching yeah. it. I was like, damn, I forgot that got deep for a second. Yeah. You know, was there anything else? I don't know. Was there anything else that you thought about with this plot line uh, in terms of how it sort of references the rest of the show or kind of what we learn about Abed, for lack of a better way of putting it? Well, the other thing that, that we haven't talked about um, that comes up in this episode is um, the ending credit sequence. Mm -hmm. So we go through these kind of like really real, like emotional, um, emotionally deep and telling uh, moments with Abed and then they cap it off with something just utterly ridiculous and I think this one it might be my favorite end credit sequence of the whole show which is it's, it's hard to pick because there are so many great ones it's, but this yes, is the so one good. where like we so we've had that that kind of emotional reckoning and then the end credit sequence is <laughs> Abed uh, crumping well, and, but, <laughs> and yeah. Troy telling them that he's not doing it correctly. Um, and so you, you end up with Troy and Jeff and Abed all with different ideas of what crumping is and trying to like demonstrate them. And it's so good. I love it so much. It's so good because as far as the codas go, you know, last time we had the first Troy and Abed coda. So it's Troy and Abed again and their <laughs> relationship and their friendship. But yeah, it's, it's Abed expressing himself after this emotional reckoning. Suddenly Abed's expressing himself in this interesting way. Like he's <laughs> trying to dance and it's kind of awkward. Well, then Troy's like, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. And it's two completely different ways of yeah. quote unquote crumping. But then the best is that, you know, Winger comes in and is like, no, it just drops the books and is like, all right, let's do this. You're like, drop this beat and start crumping. And it's the three of them crumping. And it is a great coda for the show. But the other thing I thought about is, I don't know, I don't have any data here, but I would predict that probably like peak crumping video on <laughs> YouTube sort of like 
tipping point where it just like the the market got oversaturated i would think that we were still two or three years shy of people mm. doing their crumping videos and putting them up on youtube because <laughs> believe me i about seven years ago went through a pretty good saturday afternoon of watching crumping videos because my <laughs> little sister and i were having a conversation about it and we often sometimes will pretend we're going to have these like dance competitions at the holidays or different other things. <laughs> One year, my sisters and I were going to do a grilled cheese competition. So sometimes we'll be like, I know what we can do to pass the time this Christmas. We'll do this competition. And so we were like, <laughs> we should just do like a crump off. So obviously I went yes, to we educate should. myself on YouTube. And so I feel like by the time I did that, I was already past like peak YouTube crumping video. Mm -hmm. I mean, like homemade crumping video or I wouldn't say official again, using air quotes here, but official, yeah. like, you know, educational or demonstration videos. And Nobody so expects you to be at the crest of the crumping wave exactly. like this. <laughs> exactly. So I'm already a couple years after that when I'm watching these based on what the video dates were. But that's what's great about this. This was like a thing. Like crumping was like a thing mm -hmm. back then. And I feel like they were still yet ahead of the curve from like, peak crump video <laughs> it's just so good also that's just what a funny word to say crumping yeah. it's like an odd yeah. word um but no i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to talk about the coda too well another thing i did want to say you uh, real quick and you're referencing whitman going up the tree in the background mm -hmm. there was a lot of outdoor shots of campus this episode of yeah. like because there was the like the fair like uh, winger going through the square trying to like seize the day oh Doing his quick, lame just, jump roping thing the i wanted to touch on that to circle back he jump ropes and i noticed this episode after he's done jump roping and whitman's there and he's contrived it for whitman to see because he's running through the square trying to fly a kite and he's like hey can i yeah. like get in the jump rope like the double dutch or whatever and right afterwards he's like he's like oh thanks guys and he hugs the four girls that are oh. jumping rope and i noticed like they're like middle school age. And this time I remember being, I mean, watching it, I was like, oh God, I never noticed that. Yeah. But then fortunately it's all salvaged by Whitman's line. Cause he says, he looks at him and he goes sloppy. He just calls it sloppy. He goes, he looks at him and he goes sloppy. And considering the age of these girls unwittingly creepy. Yeah. So again, they do something wrong. And then someone else in the show tells you, how wrong it is but then jeff pays him yeah <laughs> it's just so wrong but yeah when i was watching it before the line I, I you know i forgot that that the line is coming up and i was like god i didn't were, were they supposed to be that young this is like wrong especially with the hug yeah <laughs> considering the age of these girls unwittingly creepy yeah but the thing is it's not unwittingly creepy it's all perfectly it, contrived to be creepy. It's wittingly creepy. It's wittingly creepy for the reasons you've been, uh, you know, expressing in this part, in, in this show or in this conversation, it's, it's wittingly creepy yeah. for all the reasons <laughs> they want it to be because they want to say, look, we're crossing a line here and you should be disturbed by this, but don't worry. We're going to validate your being disturbed by but being mm -hmm. disturbed by this if you're a good conscientious viewer we're going to let you know we knew it was creepy and you're right to think it's creepy but again it's that meta commentary on mm -hmm. how many sitcoms have you watched in the past or movies where shit like this happens and nobody it just happens yeah nobody said anything you know but just people just let it happen um, we're crossing the line but don't worry we know where the line is exactly but i think there's like a real intelligence in that uh, you know to the yeah. to 
the writers. It's like, again, and I love how you were talking about that earlier with the scene where Jeff contrives to get everybody in the room with like having tickets to see these. And it's like, again, we have the different pieces of a bad joke, but mm-hmm. we just shift them slightly or we yeah. just go all in on the bad joke. But then we say, oh, yeah, don't worry. We know that's a bad joke or we, we joke know that's creepy. Yeah, yes. we know that's racist. We know that's to make you uncomfortable. That's why we did it. It's You do feel, if you get into this show, you feel always in good hands with the writers. You feel always like so well um, guided through those potentially problematic or uncomfortable moments. Mm-hmm. maybe except for season four which we'll talk about and not so much yeah. for like there's uncomfortable th- but at some point the show goes a little off the rails and you're like I don't trust the you know like you're like I don't know if I do trust them anymore it feels like it's just getting ahead of they're you know it's getting ahead of even them but yeah. in these but early that's, episodes that's the gas leak season which we'll get exactly, to <laughs> exa- exactly exactly but I think yeah that was about it for me today was there anything else anything else you wanted to mention Oh gosh, I think we've hit on everything. I think the only other kind of like um, little kind of Easter eggy thing that made me laugh that we haven't talked about is when um, Professor Whitman is at the uh, coffee shop and he's he's ordering coffee. He's holding up a menu that says the name of the shop is Hot and Brown. <laughs> it's just uh, I just love all of the little. Jokes built into the setting. I didn't notice that. I remember he he tears it or whatever. Um, oh yeah, because he says he's going to order a birthday cake. <laughs> a birthday. Yeah, but hot and that's amazing. I didn't notice that. That's a good catch. But one thing I was going to say is I think it's around that scene and Abed is filming Jeff and Britta and he accidentally clunks Britta in the head with like the microphone. <laughs> from the new camera he has and they're like did you get a new camera he's like and obviously he's bought it with Britta's money and that's part of the tension but he's like yeah it has all these these features other people don't know how to use or something like that but then he turns and just like whacks her in the (laughs) head with the microphone that was great I mean it was like well act another one of those kind of sticky slapstick kind of uh things oh and another real quick thing I noticed when they were eating pizza they're eating pizza at one point in the study room and that's the right. scene where Abed gets Troy or excuse me Abed gets uh Jeff and Britta to leave because that mm-hmm. becomes part of his movie I don't know if you noticed this but Annie is eating pizza with a fork oh I didn't notice that yeah, yeah. but that's totally fitting <laughs> but it is and it's such a like and and her character hasn't really started to develop yet the way I think we you know we've obviously seen yeah, she's barely in this episode. She's barely in it. But we've started to see, obviously, Winger, Britta, Abed. This mm-hmm. episode, I feel like you really got more of Pierce and Troy and a little mm-hmm. bit of Shirley. Shirley's come out in little places, but we haven't seen much of Annie yet. But I thought it was an interesting early sort of allusion to kind of who she is, you know, eating yeah. pizza with a fork, you know. And it's like <laughs> on a paper plate and it's like a white plastic fork. But yeah, I noticed she's going to take a bite. And I was like, she's got a like little square of pizza <laughs> on a fork I just thought that was amazing last thing I wanted to say and this is sort of a step back what's happened so far in these three episodes one of the Mm -hmm. things that I talked about in the first show that we recorded was winger's wardrobe Remember he had like the track pants and the kind of like loose fitting shirt and the like van you know like kind of skate a little slubby a little slubby yeah but then immediately in the second episode Spanish 101 He's in jeans 
and like a sweater. And then later there's the whole, like he changes the button down shirt that he almost, that kind of like Navy blue button down. He kind of becomes mm-hmm. famous for, you know, he exchanges that with Abed. Remember we were talking about mm-hmm. that. Okay. In this episode, I noticed like the first scene, he's sort of in like chinos and like tennis shoes and like a button down and like, again, kind of a loose fitting sweater. But then mm-hmm. later he's in like, a button down and jeans and like, you know, nice belt, nice shoes or whatever. So hmm. it's funny. Like I'm, I'm perpetually fascinated by the wardrobe choices for winger early in yeah. the, in the show, the series as a whole, because it does become such a thing for him that like by later seasons, he's like in designer jeans and a button down that like clearly shows his pectoral and shoulder muscles. You know what I mean? Like yeah, nice shoes, belt. It's funny how it like kind of goes back and forth this early part of the, of the, of the series. So I, I, I don't think that in this point of the show, Jeff is uh, as kind of like fashion obsessed as he becomes later definitely but that's what's interesting because later as a viewer you so much associate it with him and it becomes mm-hmm. so much a part of his character but you go back and watch the first episode and it's kind of all over i yeah. feel like somewhere in the middle of the first episode they kind of finally settle in on like well jeff's a former lawyer and he likes the finer things but you know later he'll be like oh he's into bourbon and it's funny like he it's still mm-hmm. there's some more schlubby kind of moments with him yet where mm-hmm. he hasn't quite found or the or the writers haven't quite found that so for it's just one of these little oddities that i'm always fascinated with when i go back and watch the early episodes is like mm-hmm. jeff's fashion hasn't quite found the sort of image I have of Winger by the end of the show. Although we'll talk about this too with Annie's character development. She becomes sort of the fashion icon of the show. Uh, to she me, has a, a very specific look. She has a very specific look and it plays up with her age and a little mm-hmm. bit of the discomfort of her being sort of sexualized in a way mm-hmm. because she wears these like schoolgirl skirts and like cardigan sweaters or whatever. Yeah. But even her, I mean, her... Uh, being sexualized in the show becomes like a trope because eventually, you know, Mm -hmm. the monkey is named Annie's boobs and like the famous episode where she tries to seduce Jeff to get on into the, like the glee team or whatever, like the, you know, the The um, holiday episode. Yeah. 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 But also it's interesting. There's like this kind of, uh, she's very young in these early episodes and she's one of those characters. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about it as, you know, the seasons go on who really matures we talked about this. I think she was like 26 or somewhere around there. I might be wrong, but when, but she's supposed to be an 18 year old. And we were talking about how Mm -hmm. she's, she's not 18. Like the, you know, Alison Brie, the actress is not that age when they start filming this. Right. No, Um, but she really reads as like 19 years old. Like she, to me feels like she just got her braces off. That's the thing she, she does. It's a great way to put it. She reads that way, but that's also interesting. One of the things we'll, you know, maybe explore as, as our pod goes on, that there is this like odd sexualization of her in that almost fetishy way. Like she's this young girl that wears skirts and like leggings and, you know, ballet flats and the like, you know, librarian sweaters or whatever, Mm -hmm. but she's kind of prim and proper. That's why I said, she, you know, she's eating the pizza with a fork. It's an interesting (laughs) sort of, sort of thing that I noticed just, um, yeah, just to sort of, tie the knot on that like the the fashion of the show because you know Troy kind of dresses like a jock with his letter jacket Brit is like you know 
the sort of alternative hipster leather jacket. Mm -hmm. I don't know really where to place her, but she's got a look. And Jeff has yet to settle into that. But I also mm -hmm. noticed Annie from the beginning is like, she's very fashionable, yeah. but her outfit, her wardrobe is part of who she is. She's very well put together. And mm -hmm. that becomes a thing that'll develop with her is like how meticulously planned she is for better or for worse. For sure. So sorry to go off the rails there, but it, it was one of those things that I've been wanting to come back to since our first, you know, record or since our first episode of the pod. Any final thoughts on this episode before we wrap up today, Sandy? Or the, no. or the show in general? I mean, our pod in general, you know, any, any sort of take the temperature of the room moments? <laughs> yeah, I wish I had something pithy, but I, I really don't. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that, then. That is, that is... <laughs> blame me. I was just, I was just curious if you had anything, but I know we'll have more to say in the future. So the next episode we'll look at is obviously episode four of season one of community, the title of which is social psychology. Um, we'll have a new character evolve. We do get, um, or sorry, there, one of the characters evolves that being Annie, which is partly why I just brought up this, like her being sort of young and sexualized mm -hmm. because she starts to explore a relationship in episode four. And that becomes like a whole thing. So there was, there it wasn't completely tangential. There was a tie in <laughs> here, but also we get a new character who becomes part of the sort of like sub fabric of the, you know, uh, the Greendale community, mm -hmm. um, in relationship or sorry, in relation to the, to, Annie and that plot device in episode four. So again, that'll be our next episode. It's social psychology. I think that's it for today. Looking at episode three. Um, yeah, Sandy, thanks again for all of your insights and opening up this show to me in ways that I never expected, but, and thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. And um, we can just close by saying uh, you're not crumping. I yeah believe me when I tried I realized that I wasn't I wasn't going to be much better at it than than Jeff Troy and Ahmed, <laughs> that's for sure I think we should I think we should close with saying only when we stop stopping our lives can we begin <laughs> to start starting them no I'm kidding <laughs> well we can start stopping this podcast yeah yeah yes good point let's start stopping this um, all right. Well, thanks again, Sandy. We'll, yeah, we'll be around in the future to look at episode four. Our theme music is Happy Dance by Cedric Galke. Please subscribe to Streets Behind wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>